1: sermon is pre-recorded this is 1 samuel 13 verse 9 bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering and saul offered up the burnt offering just as he finished making the offering samuel arrived and saul went out to greet him what have you done asked samuel And Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought. In other words, he's thinking about how to preserve his kingdom. Now, one of the first signs that we are about preserving our own kingdom is that when the crisis comes, the the fang and the claw come out. And we begin to defend our kingdom using whatever means are necessary. And the usual means are accusation, judgment, bitterness, fang, and claw. And so now, Samuel simply says, You have acted foolishly, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Samuel knows that the issue is not God's kingdom here. The issue is King Saul's kingdom. I want my kingdom established. I want to do what I'd like to do. I want to think what I want to think and say what I want to say. And I will be very entrepreneurial. I will protect my turf. Samuel leaves and goes up to Gilgal. And Saul is left with 600 men, trembling in fear, looking as though certain death will come. And then God steps in through another, Jonathan, and delivers the children of Israel. You note, God could not use his anointed person to bring deliverance because the anointed had only concern for his kingdom not the kingdom of God. Then we find the second occurrence in First Samuel, the 15th chapter. We find that the Amalekites are to be totally and utterly destroyed. And so he takes his armies, now grown very powerful in the flesh, against the Amalekites. And as he attacks them, he decimates them. But we find in this brief story that the soldiers want to preserve the very best of the cattle and the livestock. And of course, they, they say to Samuel, the reason we're saving these are because we want to offer them to God. But we already see the lie in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Samuel... Uh, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. In other words, after his successful campaign, his first heart is to build himself some kind of monument to say, I'm somebody. It's his kingdom that he's concerned about. It's not God's kingdom. Now we turn to the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel. And this is after the victory with the Philistines. The giant Goliath has been slain. And once more, I want you to see and understand that the giant was not slain by King Saul, the anointed of God. God could not allow him to slay the giant because he would have built another monument to himself. And so he uses the weakest of the weak. He uses an unknown farm boy, a shepherd. And he uses this young man with a sling, not even a sword or a spear. And Goliath is slain. And now we find in chapter 18 of 1st Samuel verse 6 when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs with tambourines and lutes and as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands but David his tens of thousands and Saul was very angry at this refrain it galled him they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Oh, and from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And so now we see when you have your own kingdom, one of the things that begins to emerge out of that kingdom is a single minded and jealous eye to make sure that your kingdom is protected to make sure that your job is protected to make sure that you keep the right relationship with your boss so they won't grow unhappy with you a careful eye jealous to detail to ensure that you can be successful and live in the kingdom that you have built for yourself then these terrifying words are spoken in verse 10 the next day, an evil spirit from God or an injurious spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp. So suddenly, because he is covenanted to walk in his own kingdom, in his own flesh, with a jealous eye, with bitter accusation, an evil spirit sent by God. And he's now prophesying and it looks like he's really gotten religion. I mean, anybody looking at this man would have said revival has started. But the revival that has started is of an evil spirit because his heart is to preserve his own kingdom. And we see this worked out. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself I'll pin David to the wall but David eluded him twice. Now I want you to get a picture now that we're going to contrast in a moment. The picture I want you to see is that this man decided he was going to protect his turf. He was going to preserve his kingdom and he was going to preserve it by casting his spear. An unclean spirit comes upon him. He seems to be spiritual. But he has a heart of murder. So his kingdom is threatened and he's saying, how can I kill him? How can I eliminate the problem that I have? Have you been throwing any spears this week? Trying to pin to the wall your adversary, someone who doesn't agree with you, Saul is afraid of David, it says in verse 12, because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. So now we have a picture of a desperate man, a desperate man trying to kill the anointed of God, David. David does not pick up the spear and throw it back. It would have been an easy thing and justifiable to defend himself. He doesn't pick up the spear and throw it back. Have you received any spears in your heart this week? And have you turned and cast it back at the other saying, I'll even the score. You hurt me, I'll hurt you more. David did not have that heart. You wonder sometimes, why was David a man after God's own heart? because he could have spears thrown at him and not return them. Notice in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, David is running. Saul is pursuing. They go into a cave, and there there is opportunity for David to kill Saul. And David will not do it, but he does cut off a corner of his robe. And then he calls out after Saul, verse 14, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing, a dead dog, a flea? David had no kingdom. I want you to understand this. Saul had his own kingdom. David had no kingdom. He considered himself a dead dog, a flea. A live dog was considered unclean in that day. A dead dog was worse than unclean. There was no pride in David's heart. You could throw spears at him and try to kill him. All he would do is elude the spear and run. In my background, that's called a coward. Unmanly. Somebody gets in your face, punch him out somebody says something you don't like, go after him. I was raised that way. I was raised in the tradition of Saul. Protect yourself. Guard yourself. Watch carefully your competition. But not David. Not David. He could fell a man with a sling. He could take a giant out. But he would not take a giant out to protect himself. He laid his life down. Now listen, King Saul understands what's going on. He doesn't want to admit it. An evil spirit is upon him, but he understands. And suddenly the darkness of his heart is pierced, and he sees truly who he is. Chapter 24, verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? Suddenly the... The rage of establishing his own kingdom is drawn aside as a curtain. And he reaches out to David and speaks to him as though he were a son. Suddenly, for a moment, his insanity is cast aside. And in saneness, he speaks. Listen to his words. He wept. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Oh, this man knew. He knew he should get off the throne. But it was his throne. It was his kingdom. He knew the presence of God had departed from him. Why had the presence of God departed from him? Because he was jealous of God. He wanted God's kingdom for himself. It's the same deal Satan said. I will ascend to the Most High. I will be above the Most High. I will be God when you're going to be God. You have to be prepared to defend yourself with the casting of spears. Just a brief word on behalf of David. When you don't have any money, you don't have any money to protect. It's easy to live when you don't have any money. You can get sympathy, you can scrape along, you can make it somehow. But when you have money, now you've got a kingdom. You've got to protect your money. You have a fiduciary responsibility. And now you have to protect your assets. You have to act with prudence. And when somebody comes to steal it, you kill them. You protect what you have. So David is yet untested because he doesn't have a kingdom. How will having the kingdom change David? Well, let's find out. Very interesting. We find that David David receives his kingdom. And he has great authority and great power. He has great wealth. He has worldwide recognition. He is the man. But he has a son by the name of Absalom. And Absalom is handsome and bitter. And now Absalom begins to undercut his daddy's authority. He begins to go behind his back, and the scriptures tell us that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Second Samuel, the 15th chapter. Absalom, this handsome specimen of manhood, not a mar on his body, perfect in appearance, winsome, You know, those kind of people, everywhere they go, people rally to them. They have this personality that is just sparkling bright. You want to be with them. And so he's camped out beside the road. And as people come along, he says, Come here, brother, talk to me, tell me your troubles. I will kiss you. I bless you. I'm the king's son. It's unfortunate that there's nobody here that can handle your business like i could handle it for you and you know my father's upset with me because i took care of my family it's not justified but he's you know my daddy's getting old he's a good man but he's getting old and and i should be the one sitting on the throne now i'm the man of talent and, and i love you my brother come and walk with me let's walk together If I were king, you'd see a a difference in the way you're treated. I'd lower your taxes. I'd take care of you. All the intrigue as Absalom undercut his daddy. Now you have a young man coming with spears against David, but now everything is reversed. Now it is David who sits on the throne. And you know what you do with young upstarts who come against you? You spear them. You kill them. You move them aside. You banish them. But David, remember, he wouldn't cast spears. And now that he has the throne, he knows that it is the throne of God. He knows that this is the throne that Messiah will come and sit on, and he will not sully that throne with bloodshed. He also knows that his son Absalom is coming against him because of David's own sin with Bathsheba. He sees that it's a judgment of God pronounced by Nathan the prophet. Now you see a totally different response from Saul he moved into the defensive mode and went about eliminating the problem. David, recognizing that it's his sin, turns to the Lord. I want us to look together at what David does. Chapter 15, 2 Samuel, verse 13. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. And the king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. What? They know Absalom is not the king. And they know Absalom will never be the king. They know God has chosen David as the king. So, what is David doing here? David knows he has only two choices one, begin to act defensively to preserve his kingdom and turn into another king, Saul, or he must walk away from his throne. And he chose to walk away from his throne. Why would he choose to walk away from his throne? Because he knew there was only one person of importance. And that was the mighty God of heaven and earth. And he chose God over his throne. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. He made the tough decision to walk away from his rightful position, his rightful power, his rightful authority. He chose to walk away from that and say, Lord God, I will not cast spears at this young man who has rebelled against me. I will instead walk away and I will trust you. We could have chosen to stay on W.A.B.S., The Lord said, leave this radio broadcast. We didn't have to leave. We had the money to pay for it. The radio station was asking us to remain. They were shocked that we withdrew. Why would we withdraw? Because our heart is for the Lord God of heaven and not for a throne.
0: Hallelujah.
1: We don't go to that radio station to build ourselves a kingdom. We go to that radio station in the name of Jesus for his kingdom. And when he calls us, we walk away. And we trust that tomorrow he'll give us new instructions for the battle and that we will do what he tells us to do. And if he chooses to never give us a place of standing, if he chooses never to bring revival, if he chooses never to touch the city in our lifetime, I choose God. I choose Jesus over success in ministry. I choose the kingdom of Jesus Christ over the kingdom of flesh, even if it is religious flesh that is prophesying and having wonderful music and great success. I've been in those great churches. I've pastored in those great churches. I've spoken to the great crowds. I don't want to walk that way again. I want to walk away at the command of Christ in order to walk with Jesus. Everything else is submitted. Let's follow the story. Verse 10, when Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. It takes more than the applause of men to make a king. It takes more than the applause of men to build a church. Now David, with all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, heard David say in verse 14, Come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. So the king set out in verse 16 with his entire household following him. Notice he had all kinds of military men marching with him. He could have rallied the troops. He could have defeated Absalom. But then he would have been King Saul. Verse 23, The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on toward the desert. And Zadok was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God and Abathur offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, take the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Until we take on this attitude, letting go of our kingdoms, releasing our families into the hands of Jesus, releasing our job, releasing our our money, releasing everything into the hands of Jesus and saying, Jesus, here I am, do with me as you please. Establish me or cast me down. Either one is all right. As long as I am free to walk with you, Jesus, that's all that matters. I want to walk with you. And here David is, walking out of the kingdom, saying, take the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, back to the holy city. I will not even cling to the vestiges of power. I'll make no pretense about being out in the wilderness and having the presence of God. I release it all. Take it back. Verse 30... David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went. I think of another man who I'm sure was weeping as he walked up Mount Olives. His name was Jesus. He was headed to Golgotha. He made no pretense of clinging to the vestiges of power he could possess. He walked away from his ministry and his kingdom. He walked away from it. He wept before God and he said, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. He utterly laid down his life. He said to us, come, take up your cross and follow me. Let's weep together as we walk up Mount olives let's release to the hand of God everything we possess I don't like this part of the story but this story has to be told his name was Shimei Shimei's are sent by God and they bring out of us the true honest part of who we are Shimei was a bitter man He was a descendant of King Saul. By rights, he should have been executed when King Saul left. But in mercy, David did not destroy the family of King Saul. And we find this story. Verse 5 tells us that this man came and cursed David Verse 6, he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. You'd think if anything could rouse the passion of King David to begin casting spears, it would be a shimei. No respect. Now, I don't know about you, but where I come from, personal respect was very important. As a child, I was punished often for acting in ways that were disrespectful of my brother's possessions. I was taught that it was proper to respect a man, to treat a man with dignity. I'll never forget the day we were driving down the highway, not a big four-lane highway, a little two-lane road. We were going fast probably 35 or 40 in a Model A Ford pickup. (laughs) I leaned out the window and someone was passing and I shouted at them. I shouted something nasty like, how'd you get so ugly? My dad never said a word until we got home. He said, Raymond, we need to talk. And he took me to the woodshed. I think one of the most severe whippings I ever had in my life. My dad said to me, you show respect even for strangers. This respect issue is very big in my heart. Is it in yours? God wanted to deal with David's respect. He wanted to see if David would take his sword and begin to clear the highway of the dirt that had accumulated there. This bitter heart. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out of here. Get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose palace you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You've come to ruin because you are a man of blood. In other words, because King David walks away voluntarily from his kingdom, because he leaves behind the palace and the temple, because he walks away rather than become another King Saul, Now, the devil comes against him through Shimei and begins to accuse him and say, You're finished. Now, I want to tell you the devil will come to you constantly and say to you, You're finished. Has he done that in you? It's over. It's history. You didn't do it well enough, you made too many mistakes. And now it's the devil's time to collect his due on you. You're a sinner and it's hopeless. You might as well just throw in the towel and curse God and die. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to walk in righteousness. You're a scoundrel. Oh, the devil comes and says the worst things about me. Do you know I've learned a response to him? I now say to him, Mr. Devil, you can say about me anything you want to say. It won't be near as bad as what I say about myself. But I have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And I'll leave all the kingdom of earth to you, Satan. I'm going to go to the kingdom of heaven my home is not here i'm an alien and a stranger and mr devil you don't need to show me any respect but you will bow the knee to my master and to my king you will bow the knee and i'll be there to watch one of david's men said why should this dead dog curse my lord the king let me go over and cut off his head He was not speaking poetically. He fully had the ability and the capacity to go cut off his head. He was eager and willing to do so. But David would not even use the spears of another man to get even with his tormentor. You recall he'd already done that to Uriah the Hittite. And he could not bear the presence of God departing from his heart. He could not bear that. Rather the cursing of a Shimei than the absence of the power and presence of Almighty God in his heart. And the king said, what do you and I have in common? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. (laughs) Oh, I like that. That'll carry you right on through. Lord, I don't know why this cursing is coming against me, but for whatever reason it's coming against me, Lord, I trust that you're carrying me into your eternal kingdom. It doesn't matter what's said to me. It doesn't matter what's done to me. I will not pick up the sword. I will not throw the spear. I will humbly walk away from my kingdom if I can be a part of your eternal kingdom. Now let me take a side trip for just a moment. I want so much to be a part of God's kingdom. My heart is desiring to be in the presence of Jesus. God doesn't seem to respond as quickly as I would like him to respond. So let's see, how can I force God's hand? How about if I just go ahead and step out by faith? I'll build my kingdom and I'll build it in the flesh. But it will look holy. It'll look like God. Little g. Because I'll be God. I want to tell you, this is the most painful part of the walk that I've had with the Lord. To lay aside every... Specific, every concrete possibility to build for myself my own kingdom. You can come and you can fellowship in a church, and the music, the preaching, everything is awesome. And it's a monument to the flesh, and no power of sin will be broken in that house. A lot of noise. You know it is a house of God when your heart is pierced and the arrows of the Holy Spirit find lodging in your heart, when you're convicted, when it makes you mad, when self wants to rise up and begin to cast spears. You know something's going on. And that something is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is asking you, will you walk away from your pride and your arrogance? Will you walk away from your kingdom? Will you trust in the Lord God of heaven? Will you let him establish you in his time and in his way and not in your time and in your way? So David and his men, verse 13, continue along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. Now I can handle the stones, but don't throw dirt on me. I can look manly dodging stones. I can't look manly with my face smeared with mud. And so here's David in his royal robes, smeared with dirt. And yet he does not pick up a sword. He does not pick up a spear. He will not rail against this shimei. Now, let me get real personal. Sometimes, your wife or your husband can become Shimei. Do you pick up a sword and deal with Shimei? Sometimes your children can become Shimei's. You're not going to speak to me that way, young man. <laughs> I'm bigger than you, I can put the herd on you. I'm your father. I'm your father. Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> You can't act like that. Sometimes our bosses become shimmy eyes. And oh, can we find ways to get even with the boss? We can steal time, product. We can sabotage. We can go slow. We can speak in such a way with others that the boss's reputation is undercut and we can create trouble in others that will never be caught for creating we can delay projects we can lose papers we we have a whole litany of things that we can cast as spears Kids, sometimes mom and dad can be shimmy. Eye. You're not gonna treat me that way and get away with it. I wish I could just kill you. I'm so mad at you. How do you dare treat me that way? But you can't say it, or you'll get a whipping. You see, at the very heart of this whole deal is your kingdom. And you rule over your kingdom. And Jesus calls us to walk away from our kingdoms, weeping as we go up the Mount of Olives toward Golgotha. And nobody ever went to Golgotha without first going through Gethsemane, where the decision has to be made, will I be a Saul or will I be a David? And you have to make that determination in your soul based on your understanding of what your sin has been. Saul had no concept of his sin. David remembered Bathsheba. It's only as we remember our sin that we will be able to go to Gethsemane. Otherwise, we'll say, we're being treated unfairly. I don't deserve this. This is not right. I'm not going to put up with it. But all the glory if we can let that sin come under the blood of Jesus Christ, then we can let our kingdoms go. Have you staked out turf in your house? Don't touch my stuff. Leave my stuff alone. Have you staked out turf at your job? My tools, my stuff, my place, my desk, my telephone. This is mine. That's yours. Stay in your place or I'll kill you. That's the heart of Saul. David lays it down, walks away. He walks away with weeping. He says, what do I have in common with you? This day you've become my adversary. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Absalom is dead, but not by his hand, by the judgment of God. Let me show you quickly in the New Testament. I want you to go with me to Romans, the eighth chapter. I'm going to begin with verse 23. Romans 8, 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. What hope? The hope of the eternal kingdom. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you notice it does not say, in the same way, the Spirit helps us preserve our kingdom? In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our strength. Does it say that? It says, in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Today, is your heart just broken? You don't know what to pray for. You're hopeless. You don't see any way through. You've been ravaged by the kingdom of men. The kingdom of darkness. You don't know how you're going to survive in the family. You don't know how you survive in the marriage. You don't know how you're going to survive at the job. You don't know how you're going to survive physically. It looks like the doors are all closed. Now the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to intercede for us. And he intercedes with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Did you know to be delivered, you don't even have to pray? You just have to be broken and leave your throne. (laughs) And when you're broken and you leave your throne, the Holy Spirit starts to pray for you. And God hears his prayer. See, we pray, oh God, preserve my throne.
2: preserve
1: throne." Preserve my lifestyle, preserve my family, preserve this, preserve that. God doesn't even hear it. He says, leave your throne. Walk away. Don't throw any spears. Wait upon me. Trust me. I'll pray for you. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. That's the greatest stretch of faith I have. To believe that no matter what happens in my day to day life, it happens for my good. That in the midst of all of this, God is working out His purpose. The only thing that will block God from working out His purpose in my life is if I refuse to give up my throne and I instead pick up those spears and try to kill people who are hurting me. God calls us to lay down the spears, to set aside the claw and the fang, to lay the accusations on the throne of God at the altar of burnt offering. To go up the Mount of Olives, weeping for our sins, remembering our past, casting ourselves on the mercy of Jesus, claiming His blood. And the Holy Spirit begins to pray for us in the midst of our weakness. And because the Spirit is praying, we now know that all things are going to work for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It is not called according to the purpose of establishing your own throne. It is not called according to the purpose of you being the winner. Did you ever play as a kid? King of the hill. I was the smallest of three. It was very tough for me to get to be king of the mountain. The only way I could get to be king of the mountain was to convince my brothers to go against each other, and they'd take each other out, and then I could sit king on the mountain. Got to get off the king's mountain and get onto the king's mountain. And then all things are going to work according to His purpose, not according to my purpose, in the building of my memorial to myself. Now I have to read one last passage of Scripture. Verse 32. I'm sorry, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now please understand This is being spoken only to those of you who have walked away from your kingdom and have joined David in walking up the Mount of Olives weeping. This is not meant for Saul. Saul ended up eating at the table of witches to preserve his kingdom. And then finally, when he saw that he could not preserve his kingdom, he killed himself. The ultimate act of selfishness in suicide. This is for those who don't turn as Saul did to the witch's table, but turn as David did to the Lord's table. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? In other words, he's saying you're going to be condemned. There are going to be charges brought against you. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It's not just the Holy Spirit interceding, it's Jesus interceding. Jesus is the Spirit, and the Spirit is Jesus, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now understand, as you walk away from your kingdom, you walk into the arms of Jesus Christ. And as you're walking into the arms of Jesus Christ, the Shimei's are going to be cursing you and showering you with stones and with dirt. But I don't even see it. I see the face of Jesus. David had to see the Messiah and know for certain that God had spoken already about his future and that his promises were true. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother my sister. I'll talk to you soon.
0: With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. The presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy, to the only God. Good news. You are not. St-